Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. All right, guy, let's get into it because, um, you know, markets, when I look at what's going on today, I see some really bad action and then I see some kind of stabilizing action. Some of it's in, in within technology, like the bifurcation within tech, which has really been the leaders to the downsides. Interesting because I'm looking at semis, which have been massive outperformers over the last year, right, acting very weak. Um, I'm seeing software names catching a bounce. I'm seeing some of these SaaS names that have led to the downside catching a bit of a bounce here. Give me your take. And, and then internet uh, is, is bouncing pretty nicely here too. What's going on within tech, the way you're kind of perceiving this? And we know, we know tomorrow tech earnings get kicked off with Netflix. It's a, that's a really hard one to sort of unravel because it's not just a valuation game, because if it was just a valuation game, Salesforce wouldn't be doing that well today because Salesforce is still rather expensive stock. But then on the flip side, you look at a name like Salesforce and this recent move down to what I think two, a two twenty five or so over the last couple of days. I mean, it's decent support level. I mean, we've traded we've traded down to levels that we last saw in the spring of twenty twenty one. So I think for some names, this is just my opinion. I think for some names, it's valuation. For for other names, I think it's technicals. Like these stocks, in the short term at least, have exhausted themselves to the downside. So. That's what today is signifying to me because there's really, if you're trying to try to figure it out and put a bow on it, there's no way to sort of um, yeah. wrap a bow. All right, each story has a different. Each stock has a different story. No doubt. Um, here's Gavin Baker, Atreides Management. He is a star <laughs> tech stock picker and fund manager. He put out a tweet thread earlier today and Which, I think is that interesting. can i ask you a question i know you hate when i do this yeah just yeah. so i know and i'm sure a lot of people are embarrassed to ask questions that i typically will not ask. related to dusty is a tweet storm the same as a tweet thread or are they two yeah. different things yeah I, I guess you know a thread is a thread a thread is just a bunch of tweets put together uh -huh. a tweet storm sometimes signifies kind of the tent in the intent or the intensity of the thread you know what i'm saying so, so a thread right. has a thread has logical progression but a storm could just be like typical storms where there's no it's just haphazard like there's just chaos. like like this question basically yeah exactly. um okay, all right so here's gavin's tweet thread <clears throat> number one an important signal to me that a correction may be nearing its end is when the stocks slash groups that had been the epicenter of the weakness start to show some relative strength slash stabilization okay. versus indices along with differentiation within them so then he gets into some different groups and um i, I think that's kind of interesting I, I you know like maybe amanda can find that and post that um in in the notes or however they do that but um you know gavin um i think that he's been very um open if you look at his twitter over the last few months about some high valuation kind of names that, you know, maybe they're deemed innovative um, and maybe they find themselves in certain portfolios. Um, he fully expected to see some sort of a correction, but this is maybe getting a little long in the tooth. And maybe that's kind of what we're talking about a little bit here today, guys. In individual names, I would absolutely concur. Without question, there are names that are down anywhere from probably 40 to 75%. And 
we've talked about them at length, you know, numerous times on this and on other uh, platforms that we speak on. With that said, the S&P 500, I mean, are we at the beginning of something or is this enough of a sell-off? Uh, personally, I don't think it's nearly enough of a sell-off. And I just want to add one more thing to this equation because why not? We have a half hour. The IWM, which we've talked about um, forever as well, below that 210 level. And the last time we got down here was December 20th or so, and we bounced off of it. Well, here we are, like, what, 207, 208 or so in the IWM. I think it's a pretty important technical level. That support, which has been in place since the spring of last year, is being tested. I think you absolutely have to look at that. And what, just for shits and giggles, I'll throw the XRT in as well, which is a pretty critical support level. So the, uh, the Russell 2000, the IWM, the ETF, the tracks it. <clears throat> Interestingly, the 52-week low guy was basically 205 on January 29th of 2021. Okay, so here we are. Today's low was 204.84. Oh, no, the low prior. Yeah, so, okay, this is interesting. Um, I mean, nearly identical, um, like, yeah. match lows today. Like, look at that. So that's a big one um, there. Um, but but what was your take, Guy, on um, just – sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. All right, so, so within tech, though, Microsoft, that deal yesterday, $70 billion in cash – the stock is trading higher right now than when that announcement came out uh, yesterday morning. What, what is your take on that, that a company, a $2.5 trillion market cap company, can buy a, a company for $70 billion in cash um, and be unchanged? All right. Now I'm going to say something, and you're probably not going to like this either. I would submit that Microsoft yesterday could have said they put $70 billion on red at Las Vegas Sand and <laughs> lost, and it would have been the same outcome. Nice. And why is that? Because you're talking about a company with a $2.3 trillion market cap. $70 billion is a bit of a rounding error. And as we have mentioned numerous times on Fast Money, you know, the sort of the 302 to 305 level made perfect sense for it to find support because that, if you go back and look, was a prior all time high back in September. Of last year. So the timing coincided with the support level. I'm not suggesting that was why they did it. It just lined up that way. But $70 billion for them. I mean, this is, again, it's a rounding error to a certain extent. And I, they could have they could have said they bought me for $70 billion. Well, it's like, listen, here's the deal. When, when the company was, you know, less than a trillion dollars, they made a $26 billion acquisition of LinkedIn. Um, a lot of people tell you that. Brilliant, that for, by the way. Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's one of the worst products on the planet um, that, that is connected to the Internet. Let's be frank. Um, that's one. But then, you know, they made a lot of bad deals prior to Satya Nadella. So, yeah, maybe this one's fine. I mean, the, the history of big M&A and big tech is not particularly great. And if you just go back 25 years. Well, wait a um, second. So about what about, I remember this one like it was yesterday because I had never heard of it. And it's funny because one of my friends who lives in now Singapore Mm -hmm. uh, has tried to reach me on this and he finally acquiesced and he used called on my landline. But remember when that whole WhatsApp deal came, it was like a $16 billion deal or some crazy number and it broke Bigger. during our show. And I literally had never heard of it. And I was just praying that Melissa didn't come to me. And I think she went to you. And fortunately you knew everything about it. Well, I mean, it, it was it was one of the fastest growing messaging apps at the time. I think it was back in two thousand and um, in fifth or thirteen. It was two thousand and thirteen, 
And, um, you know, at the time, I mean, the idea of platforms like that, that had like billion, you know, user bases or whatever, I mean, it was just kind of astounding here. Let me look. It was $19 billion deal. $19 and, billion. Dollars. And I was 19... like, what? I'm like, this is a joke, right? I never, and I mentioned it because my friend Jim, who now again, yeah, everyone and their mother uses it, but they didn't even have a revenue model back then. They had like, like a handful of employees, 2004, February, 2014, $19 billion. Um, anyway, he said he's been trying to reach me on WhatsApp. I'm like, how would I know? Does it ring or something? Uh, like maybe it's attached to your phone number. You know, we had Alexis Ohanian on a brand new podcast that Risk Reversal Media launched. I'm one of the co-hosts. It's called OK Computer. Follow that in your podcast stores. But Alexis Ohanian was the founder of Reddit. Um, and he's a bit of a genius, this guy, man. He's, uh, I think he's <coughs> mid to late 30s. And he started a venture firm and he's gone all in on Web3 sort of stuff. But we were talking about like the start of Reddit, Reddit. And it's just amazing when you think about it. I mean, he started this in his dorm room at UVA guy in 2005 with $12,000, him and his roommate that they got from Y Combinator. They're in the first class of Y Combinator. And never in his wildest dreams did he think that he'd create a platform that A, would last as long as it did, 15 years and counting, and then have over like 100 million active users, which is pretty astounding that people can just create that stuff from their dorm room, you know? The creator economy, but hasn't there been a creator economy all through history? We just now choose to label yeah, it. Yeah, but you're, you're kind of mixing metaphors well, in a way. You know, uh, yeah. All right, let's let's move on to, um, to bad stocks. I just stocks. like saying it. I mean, no, creator no. economy sounds like it's actually so, pretty cool. So, so Guy, let, let me ask you this, okay? JP Morgan is down three days in a row. On Friday after it reported its earnings, it was trading Fridays or Thursday's close. Okay. You ready for this? Mm -hmm. On January 13th, the stock had traded as high as a hundred and almost $170. It's all time high that it made in October. Okay. was $173. So it was when, as you would say, a whisper within its all time high, it looked like it was going to break out. It was kind of this ascending like channel ish sort of thing. Stock gap down 6% on Friday after earnings, was down another 4% yesterday, and it's down again nearly 1%. I mean, what the heck is going on with J.P. Morgan? I think I've said this before, so I'm not trying to backpedal at all, but for the longest time, J.P. Morgan was being rewarded a valuation that other banks were not. And it, to me, it came in the form of price to tangible book. And in the, in the heydays prior to the financial crisis, of 08 and 09, you know, some of these banks were trading close to three times tangible book, which, you know, that's fine. It's yep. great. My, what I've said all along is, you know, I think we're in a different world right now. And although JP Morgan deserves a premium valuation, did it deserve something close to 2.7 times tangible book? And they reported on January 14th and off memory, Dan Nathan, tangible book was $71.53. And you can do the math. So we're still yeah. at these levels north of. So even if you were to say it deserves a premium valuation, I think what the market is struggling with, what is the right multiple? And, you know, if you say it's 1.8, you can make a compelling case that J.P. Morgan has room all the way down to about 125 or so. And I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, because if you look at a prior high, Dan Nathan, you know, you go back to January of last year and it all sort of lines up. Yeah, the breakout, though, I would say from, you know, the pre-pandemic. That was a pretty cogent answer by me. It was a great answer. I, I would the, the the next stop 
is that kind of low in that uh, the summer low in the in the mid 140s, and then you have that kind of breakout level when it got back to the highs prior to the pandemic in early 2020. That's just above um, 140. Well, let me get your quick take on home builders because the segue here is that you'd think that money center banks would have liked like this rise in interest rates, right? But it really is the cost that that really got people. Um, kind of out of sorts, especially as it relates to JP and Goldman, and then just the the, the expectation for a slowdown in uh, capital markets activity and some other stuff. But they don't like it. Um, stocks are, don't, they, and they look kind of sick. That's that's one thing. All right. So yeah. then on rates, guy, the move in home builders over the last week has been pretty dramatic too. And and what is it? Just rates, or is it the potential for a slowdown in some of the dy- dynamics that were driving the housing market over the last, let's say, you know, year and a half or so? I think it's a bit of a witch's brew. I think rates clearly um, are not helping. You know, lumber prices, which we saw went into um, basically went into ascension at points last year, gave the entire move back. They've been on the rise as well. Raw material costs continue to go higher. And by the way, you mentioned uh, home builders like the Pulteys and the DHIs. I know you're going to ask the next question is, look at the move in Home Depot recently. And you'd be spot on to point that out because we topped out, I believe, at a $420 or so. Here we are at 360 The armchair technicians out there that I am one of them, not nearly in the league of like Colleen who's listening, but you have a very short, uh, little short double top around that 420 level. The next logical level of support, in my opinion, for Home Depot goes all the way back to the prior all-time high from May of last year, $340 or so. And, you know, at $363, we are not that far away. And I think that would make sense. So you know, a lot of things that have been supportive, momentum being one of the biggest things, is now out of these names. You have to look for re-entry points, and I think that's where we're on the verge. Well, I'll tell you one thing. If you look at the XHB guy, and I just maybe Amanda will post this, I mean, the break of that uptrend from its 2020 lows, you know, you just draw a line and you connect it to um, the low from kind of mid last year, which was yeah. just above 70. And you're you're below that right now. And so, you, you know, you, you could see 72 in this thing um, in, in not so in not so distant future here. Um, so I think it's interesting to keep an eye home builders and a lot of these uh, sectors that are related to rates. Oh, this is the thing when I lost my train of thought earlier, guy. So you saw that the 10 year was. Did trading you find little- it? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, was trading near 1.9% this morning, um, and then it's come in a little bit. And so I guess my point is, is that the thing that kind of kept, kept, you know, stocks kind of buoyed here, or at least tech stocks a little I mean, bit? you're right. You know, the, the, the 184, I think, if we're looking at it now, I mean, there's so – I think everything's on a hair trigger in terms of what rates are going to do. So I think that's what's going on. I think the market's trying to find – the market's trying to find its level of support. We had a huge sell-off yesterday. By the way, I'm not, and I think you would agree with this. I mean, there's a lot of day left, clearly. But, you know, a 17-point bounce or so in the S&P 500, and oh, by the way, at one point today, it did go negative around 11 a.m., is not all that impressive. Now, again, a lot can happen in the next couple hours, and we've seen rip-roaring rallies in the last couple hours of the day. So it might happen again. But the Russell is still negative. Uh, and I, I don't think there's a lot to glean from today's action. You have a Biden presser, I think, at the end of the day today that fast money might be usurped by another great word. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of things out there for, you know, love for cause for concern. Um, so I don't know. Right now, just looking at a Nasdaq that's up half a percent an S&P that's up four tenths of a percent. It, nothing really is all that um, 
eye shattering. I, I, you know, earth shattering to me. Well, hopefully not eye shattering. Yeah, um, no, I don't know why I, I was saying. I, you know why? Because I just put my glasses on to see better. All right, question, question for you. Crude oil. I have um, readers. New highs broke out. Um, can it sustain it? And you know, what do you think? I, I'm kind of getting ready to pull the trigger on the XLE to the short side. Oh yeah, you are. Take yeah, the opposite, opposite side of this because, and, and you know, I do it through puts, put spreads. I actually detailed the trade idea on my in the money segment that'll drop. Um, that I do with Fidelity each week. That'll be on my Twitter later this afternoon, probably right after the close in the XLE. I think you probably get a move back, you know, in the XLE guy to, I don't know, I want to say kind of high 50s or something like that. It just feels like it's gone too far, too fast in a way. But crude, you know, it's come from basically mid 60s to high 80s in less than two months. Um, can it make a meaningful breakout here? Can it establish a new range above the prior high above 85? The, I, yes is my answer, and I would understand why people would say, as you're doing now, this is a logical place to take money off the table, and as they say in the business, sell the double. Totally makes sense. You mentioned <laughs> the XLE. I mean, this level is where the XLE topped out at back in December of 2019 before it, like many other things, cratered to the downside. So it's a logical place for the XLE to stop. By the way, it's a logical place for the OIH to stop because we have failed at this level, this 225 or so level, numerous times. What I would say is, yes, I get it, and yes, that's a disciplined thing to do. I still think crude's going higher. I think we're going to have triple-digit oil. I thought we'd have that by the end of 21. That did not happen. And, oh, by the way, you saw a huge downdraft right around Thanksgiving on the back of Omicron in the subsequent SPR release when crude, I think, lost almost 30% in pretty much a straight line. Well, it's clearly gotten all that back. I'll stand by this and say, I think crude goes higher. But again, if you're disciplined and if you've been long, this is a great area to take money off the table, well, both the OIH and the XLE. The OIH, you had a great call. When it was down there at 185, you thought it'd get back to those highs from October. It's done that. It actually made a new high. You draw a little line from that high in March. Um, you did have that kind of false breakout in June, and it went from, what, 245 all the way down to 165, right? That's the range. I mean, this is what you want to trade here, I guess, right? Um, so, I mean, playing for a breakout at this point doesn't make, to me, a whole heck of a lot of sense. Um, let's put that one out there. All right, kind of related, but not really. Um, let's look at Ford. You see this, that um, they had to shut down one of their plants in Michigan because of chip shortages. The stock's down 7%. It's had a huge rally. GM's down two and a half percent here um those were not easy trades last year they maybe looked easy because they um but they they were volatile last year right it wasn't an easy one um in gm and ford what's your take here because you know ford got going right out of the gate but does this kind of change the narrative as far as like their ability to execute in a tight like chip shortage environment at a time when they keep doubling up on their yeah. aspirations um as it relates to evs i i, I don't well, clearly, when the stock is down like it's down today, it took the market off guard. So I don't want to be glib in saying that this news was in the stock because it wasn't. But I don't think this should be a big surprise to people. I mean, chip shortages is something we've been talking about literally for the last year or so. So, you know, the stock down 7.5%, you could make the argument that it wasn't in the stock. This is, if you're asking me what you are, I think this gave people a perfect opportunity to, again, take profits in a name that a lot of people have had a huge run in. I still think there's a lot of upside in Ford. You know, again, it's a valuation thing to me. 
they're probably going to earn $2.25 or so. I don't think a 15 multiple is the right multiple, but something close, and you can do the math. But I've been steadfast in that. And you said there are no easy trades. Uh, you're right most of the time. I will tell you, when the Boston Bruins traded Ken Hodge for Rick Middleton, that was the easiest trade of all time. The, maybe the worst trade in the history of professional sports. Clearly the worst trade in the history of the New York Rangers. But that was an easy trade for the Bruins, at least. Back to you. Fair enough. By the um, way, you like the way I can bring sports in here? It's pretty amazing. It, it really is. It's truly amazing. Um, here's another one for you, Guy. Um, today, also on my In the Money, and I'm not giving too much away, so you have to tune in and check it out. I had a contrarian way to play for a bounce in the XBI, the ETF that tracks the biotech sector within yeah, the S&P 500. Look at this thing. It broke 118, okay, late November. And then it tried to bang around. It tried to hold out below those lows. It was just, you know, that had been support back in August, back in May. And it just was in a free fall, still in a free fall, trading at 95 and a half. This one is one where I feel like it wouldn't take a whole heck of a lot. Maybe some M&A in the space guy. I don't know. I don't know anything. I'm just a big dummy. But that thing could be back at 115, 118 in like like one week or something like that. What, an what, all-time what high, your... all high, I believe, of 175 or so in February of last year had been basically awful the entire year, which I think surprises a lot of people. Clearly surprised me. This level, though, that you've gone this counter trade, this the contra contrarian in you to get long here, this lines up with an all-time high, a prior all-time high, way back in the summer of 2018, if you really want to go back in time. Uh, so yeah. where we're stopping here makes perfect sense. So I'm with you on this one, Dan. I think this is a great entry point. I think the risk-reward sets up really well. I'd say bully for you. By the way, it was also <laughs> the level that we broke down from, like everything else, in February of 2020. So well done. I didn't see this, but now that you're putting it on my radar screen, uh, got to take maybe, a look. Maybe, well maybe it's your final maybe your final trade on the Fast Money today. You know, I'm reticent typically to use <laughs> ETFs for final trades, but in this case, you know, maybe. But listen, there might not be a final trade on Fast Money tonight because, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the president is giving, I don't know, was a press conference or something. So he we, he might, as they say, uh, bleed into fast money. Back to you. Fair enough. Um, one last one on biotech before we go. Um, and Amanda just um, put forward a, a question from somebody that might be an interesting oh. one to kind of hit. But what, what Moderna, um, this oh, thing. Oh, come on. If you watch fast money, peeps. How, how many, Dan, are you just... You said 180. Here? I know, you were yeah. saying 180. Okay. Well, here there, we are. Well, here, we are. here we are, peeps. Um, so what is your take here? I mean, it really feels like 150, guy. It feels like the kind of lows in May at this point. Like, yeah. I don't know why you'd step in front of this right here. There is no bid for this thing. I mean, no. like, it, and I don't and I don't understand it. So, so explain it to me a little bit what the bull well, case would be right here. I'm, there is, listen, I've... You know this for a fact. I would say for the early part of last year, I said, listen, Moderna's a real story. Yeah. I actually said, I think this could be a half a half a trillion dollar company at some point. And listen, when it was trading, what? I think it got up to 450 or so. Excuse me. It got up to almost 500 in the fall. Certainly looked like we were going to get there. Then the news flow started to change. Um, other vaccines came into play. Maybe Moderna wasn't 
as um, alone in some of the work that they've done. In other words, they weren't, they didn't have the monopoly on some of these RNA vaccines and stuff. And the market sort of took them to the woodshed. Why do I think this is a logical place? Because this was a prior all-time high, again, back in February of last year, traded up to 180 or so and then failed and then got back on its horse. So that's why I've been saying 180 for a while. Here we are. But to your point, we haven't seen a volume day that would suggest capitulation by any stretch of imagination. So why yeah. get in the way? I do think this is an okay place to get in, but I totally understand what you're saying. Hey, so just so you know, I mean, this company, and you got to give them credit, they raised so much capital, right, when they could. They have like nearly $9 billion in cash on their balance sheet. They have no real debt. They have less than $600 million. And so they have an enterprise value of like $63 billion. And, you know, it trades cheap, you know? I mean, so... I don't know. This is one of those ones that's really hard because we've been in this bull market for so long, right? And when you think back to 2020 and the throes of that kind of, you know, that meltdown, no one knew what the hell was going to happen. It was really hard to kind of step in, I think, in a lot of different things. Um, but here we are now where, you know, I mean, I think the worst case for the stock market is that we're down, let's say, the S&P or the NASDAQ 20% from the highs. At, at some point this year, it would take some sort of event outside our purview, I think, to do more than that. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. So some of these stories, you know, there's valuation support, there's balance sheet support, there's fundamental support as far as their, their business plan, stuff like that. I, I have to think very soon Moderna falls into that category. Without question. Now, you, I know you really hate when I do these things, but I'll do it anyway. We just did something with the great Carter Braxton Worth um, that we call market call charts earlier. And you were talking about things being squeezy and stuff. And you asked me to bring it in. You said, you know, see if you can weave that into the narrative. And of course, yeah. I used course George Jefferson, yeah. called his wife Wheezy. And, but then I said that the band squeezed with Paul Carrick. And then you just talked about how long can this continue, which reminds me of song how Long by the band Ace, who Paul Carrick was also in. Great song, by the way. A lot of people thought he wrote that about a girlfriend. In retrospect, he wrote it about his bass player that was sort of moonlighting with another band. That's just dropping knowledge shit left and right here, Dan. Yeah, I mean, you know, useless knowledge, um, but it's well, knowledge. And, you say I mean, it's like, useless. I mean, you know, I, I think you it's... You say goodbye. No, and, no, uh, please. No, I'm, you're not I'm a begging, Beatles guy. I'm begging you to All stop. Right, hold on. Let's see. Who wants to get in here? I think we have a few more minutes. You're on a roll here, guy. Uh, Amanda just sent somebody. Amanda, why don't you bring somebody in here um, who's got don't, a question? Uh, whoever like it is, question. I'm just telling he or she now, don't suck. Okay, go ahead. Oh, no. This is a crypto punk guy, and, 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 and Domingos seems to like the ETH. What's up, man? How are you? What's going on, guys? How are you? Good. Thanks for dropping in to our trading spaces. Well, what do you, what do you guys want to talk? Do you guys want to talk crypto or uh, multifamily construction stocks? <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about your, your PFP. Explain to Guy what's going on with your avatar here on the, on the Twitter, because he loves hearing, he loves learning new things here. Oh, that one's a derivative uh, of the crypto punks and the nouns. It's called noun punk. It's a noun punk. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that those are my favorite ones, by the way. I'm I'm glad you um I'm glad you <laughs> utilized it in your avatar. I, that those are I can't even believe I just said that. But please continue. All right, well, let's talk about multifamily uh, since we just uh, covered crypto. So multifamily dominated uh, new housing starts this morning, and at least what I'm seeing is a rise in adult cohabitation. So platonic cohabitation. What do you guys think about that from the perspective of 
uh, not only cohabitation but a decrease. Well, separate. I've been I've been platonically cohabitating for 22 years in March. And uh, I would tell you that um, it's one way to go. I mean, right, guy? I mean, uh, listen, <laughs> this is kidding. my wife doesn't listen, so I'm good here. Um, no, that's interesting. Are you saying like it's just like people broing down? Like they're like, "What's up, bro? Let's live together. Let's kind of share some some expenses." Is that what you say? It's going. It's kind of like Three's Company, guy. You remember Three's Company? That was a brilliant show. By the way, everybody loved Suzanne Summers. Joyce DeWitt was obviously the sleeper in that category, but um, you know, it was Don Knotts was you know he was one of the original, the, I think, like landlords. Anyway, Mr. Roper was was genius i mean that show was amazing i you know what i'll be frank i'd rather talk crypto and now pumps I, I don't I, I don't have much to add there um what, what do you think's going on with crypto let's ask you 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 have the um you know we have we have bitcoin down 40 percent or so eth down a little less than that a lot of alt coins are down more than that um you know there's this little there's this little battle being played out here what's your take i'm just curious near term what, how are you positioning what do you think of it here well, so price is driven by liquidity. And so when you think about the uh, crypto market and how we have so much leverage in those markets and how the leverage is, is rather opaque, you end up having instances where you have hyper liquidity and that's generally correlated with uh, times when that asset class rises and then you have times when liquidity vanishes. And that's uh, correlated with when we have um, big price dips until we have more transparency, not only into leverage, but just transaction positioning like we do have in the equity markets. I think price discovery is going to be a really hard thing to pin down and you'll continue to have a lot of volatility. Yeah, no, I agree. It'll be interesting to see because last spring from the highs in April to the lows and the summer, it felt really bad. I mean, that that was clearly like, you know, for, for crypto terms, it wasn't exactly a, uh, a protracted bear market, not 18, 19 into 20 sort of stuff. But I wonder if one of those are coming where, you know, we go down and we kind of stay down and bang around in the lower range. And um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, we had Alexis Ohaney, and I mentioned that earlier on OK Computer, so check that out. It dropped this morning. He and I were talking about this idea that, um, you know, a lot of um you know people have moved very liquid eth or bitcoin into very unliquid or non-liquid i guess you'd call it uh nfts and maybe that's where some of the leverage is also um you know kind of that transference and that could be something where maybe people sell what they can not what they uh want to so who knows well listen we appreciate that that's really good color and commentary i know i just the way Guy talks about the Rangers and trades from like 30 years ago, he brought well, no, that, that, way was, about that, that conversation. was a devastating trade. I don't think you fully understand. Rick I get Middleton. It. I no, get Rick it. Middle, the, the rain, you know, Phil Esposito wanted his old line mate back in the form of Ken Hodge. So the Rangers acquiesced and they traded for him and they gave away one of the young studs in the game in the form of Rick Middleton. It was an awful trade and it haunts me to this day. By the way, before you wrap, I just want to mention that my man Cassius Cuvay is on as well listening if you don't follow him you're doing twitter wrong back to you dan all right man well listen thank you domingo for checking us out um thank you for everyone who was on this um also we know that a lot of people listen to these after the fact so we really appreciate that you can listen to them on twitter spaces and amanda diaz also puts them in our trading 
Spaces um, podcast feed. So check it out there if you want to take it with you on the road. And we appreciate you guys. And we'll see you on Monday, Monday for Trading Spaces. And check out our podcast on the tape podcast that drops on Friday. We're going to have a very special guest. Her name is Melissa Lee. She's the host of CNBC's Fats Money. She's a very good friend of Guy and myself. And we're going to talk to her about the 15-year anniversary of Fast Money, of which Guy Adami is the only original member who started on the very first day 15 years ago. Shout out to Guy. You're the man, buddy. OG. Holler. It's like that song, Holler Back Girl, right? Isn't that like... Um... Holler, really. I honestly, I've never in my life thought I'd hear you say something like that, but I appreciate you. you. Never All right, buddy. I'm keeping it real. I'm keeping it real. All right, pal. See ya. See ya, everybody. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>